Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and, taking a towel, tied it round his waist. (coughs) Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, The one who has bathed does not need to wash, except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, Not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example, that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I am not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen. But the scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I am telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Uh, My mum's from Australia, and when I was a teenager, most years in my teenage years, um, she would uh, travel out to see family and friends on the other side of the world, and she would uh, leave us for a a month to fend for ourselves as a a family, to to survive without her, and I I use the word survive advisedly there, and Pathfinders and, and Spectrum, I don't know how you would get on, how would you get on if mum and dad were... Uh, away for a while. Um, can you cook? I certainly couldn't. Um, my dad, with his three teenage children, scrambled eggs was his forte and not a huge amount uh, beyond that. And so my mum would call us together and would have a little chat as she prepared us for that. And she would have packed the freezer with food. That was the first thing she did. She would cook for months, just pack the freezer with food. So we'd just pull things out. And she would write a list of things for us to do, things not to forget, things remember, you know, things like um, don't forget to brush your teeth, um, don't forget to wash, you know, those sort of basic things that, that mothers worry about. John 13 is Jesus preparing uh, his disciples for his departure. Uh, that's what John 13 and the chapters that come after that are all about. 
Uh, he's going to the cross. He's returning via the cross to his father. He's going away. He's not going to be around. The one who's led them for all of these years, their Lord, their master, he's going away. It's time to say goodbye. And Jesus is speaking truth to them to prepare them for that situation. And last week we saw uh, two things. Uh, we saw that Jesus is always in control. And we saw how much he loves them, that he loves them very much. That he's going to go to the cross because he loves them. He loves them to the end. And today, from these verses, we see two more things that Jesus wants them to know. He wants them to know that we must be cleansed by Jesus. And he wants them to know that we're called to serve like Jesus. So let's take them in turn and pick up the first from verse uh, 6. Let me read verse 6. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, You shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, If I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Now if you think about it, you can understand what Peter is saying. He's saying, Jesus, what on earth are you doing? What on earth are you doing in, in, in this setting? You're the, you're the master, you're the rabbi. Jesus, you know, we don't even allow Jewish slaves to do what you're about to do. Gentile slaves, maybe. No, not even Jewish. Jesus, what are you doing? You're humiliating yourself. See, the guest of honor, as Jesus is at this meal, is making them feel very awkward in a social setting. Now imagine for a minute, here's a picture on the screen, imagine for a minute that you get invited to the banquet of the coronation of King Charles. I don't know if anyone here is expecting a, an invitation uh, to that, but imagine that, uh, that you do. The invitation comes through the door and you turn up at the palace and you're invited into the banqueting uh, hall. And as you arrive, King Charles takes off his crown, he takes off his robes, he puts on a pair of grubby old jeans and a t-shirt and he starts washing your feet. And then you notice he sort of goes around afterwards and just starts cleaning the, the loose. Now, how do you feel at that point? Genuinely, how, you feel awkward, don't you? You'd feel immensely awkward. You, you'd instinctively say, no, no. What, what are you doing? This is all wrong. This is embarrassing for everyone. You're embarrassing yourself. You're embarrassing me, frankly. You're making us feel awkward. Well, that's something of what was going on in this scene. And, and Jesus says, you can't understand this now. You'll understand later. Afterwards, you'll understand. Afterwards, after what? After the cross. After the cross, you'll understand. You'll look back and see that this was a picture of the cross. And Peter pushes back strongly. He says, you will never wash my feet. You'll never wash my feet, verse 8. Literally, you'll never wash my feet in all eternity. In all eternity, Jesus, you will not wash my feet. And it's a natural reaction when anyone serves us. You know, when someone offers to pay the bill for lunch. We, we find it awkward. We, we, we say... Oh, no, no, you mustn't do that. We don't, we don't like it because then we feel in someone's debt, I think. 
That's why we respond like that. We don't want to be in people's debt. And so Peter pushes back, but Jesus pushes back even more strongly. Verse 8, did you see? Verse 8. If I don't wash you, you have no share with me. And that word has the idea of inheritance. No future eternal inheritance with me unless I wash you, Peter. And so Peter, in his natural exuberance, as normal, he's a sort of infra-penny, infra-pound sort of guy, he says, right then, okay, wash, wash the lot of me, if that's what we're talking about. Just you know, dive in. And then we get this little, little parable in verse 10, this little story that Jesus uses to explain it. It's a little tricky. We need to engage with it to understand the point. So verse 10, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not every one of you. So he's setting up bathe and wash slash foot wash as different concepts. There's, there's bathing and there's washing foot washing. And he's saying these men have had a full body wash, you know, they've had that in, in the morning. And so in, in the evening, they didn't need to do that all over again. Their feet had got grubby, but they just needed a, a foot wash. But the same as, you know, next picture. You're, um, you know, you, you've had a long soak in the bath on the left in the morning, a long, lovely, lovely soak in the bath. And then later in the day, you're, you're going out. You don't go and have another long soak in the bath. You just wash your face and on you go and carry on. You see, there's a difference between those, those two things. And Jesus says to them, you don't need another bath. You're, you're clean. And when Peter says, verse, verse 9, when Peter says, oh, come on, Jesus, I need a full spiritual body wash again, again, Jesus says, no, you don't. Verse 10, you're, you're clean. Now, what's he saying? He's saying that at this point, the, the disciples, well, 10 of them and Peter, are clean, except Judas. They've already trusted in Jesus at this point. They're already following him. They've confessed their faith in him. They're clean. They're, they're saved, if you wanted to use that language. But even though they're clean, even though they've trusted, he does say that the foot washing is indispensable. They, they must have it. They've bathed, they're clean, but if they don't let him wash them, they have no share with Jesus. Now, how does that work? Just think about that for a minute. Let's, uh, let me try and explain that. The headline is that if we're Christians, we are saved once for all when we're washed by Jesus, when we trust in him. Just hear that strongly and clearly. We're saved once for all when we trust in Jesus. But there's another part to that. That once for all washing leads to people who keep coming back for cleansing. Okay? That once-for-all washing leads to people who keep coming back for cleansing. It's, it's a whole thing, if you like, together. Both washing and ongoing cleansing are the Christian life. Or put it another way, John has already said that we need to believe in Jesus, but then he said we need to abide in him. We see the same thing in the rest of the Bible. We repent once for all, but the Christian life is a life of ongoing repentance. We're saved and we persevere. He's not saying anything unusual here. 
In Mark chapter 8 on the screen, he says, take up your cross. It's a once for all thing. Take up your cross. Luke 9, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. It's both once for all and we continue. And so letting Jesus wash our feet is a picture of the humiliating service that he offers and that we continue to need. And so alongside our once for all washing, we also say, Jesus, I continue to depend on you for my ongoing cleansing. And I I receive that as I draw on my union with you. I'm united to you. And so I draw on your cleansing. So look, marriage would be a good example of, of this. You know, imagine the husband and the wife who say, well, we were married on X date. You know, they've got their marriage certificate there. They say we were married on, on X particular date. But then imagine one of them says, but you know what? If I sin against you, well, we're married. I don't need to ask for forgiveness or, or, or cleansing. We've, we've, got a, we've got a bit of paper. Well, no, our relationship would be affected if we lived like that. If we lived over the long term in that, you know, it would have, a, it would have a, a, an effect. And a good marriage, you keep short accounts. You say, I'm sorry, I, I forgive you. There's, there's cleansing. The piece of paper, it leads to the other. They, they, they go together. The, the married couple, they abide in the relationship. They draw on the fixed union. And that's how the relationship lasts the distance. And Jesus wants our relationship with him to last the distance, to end up with a share in eternity. And so we need the one-off bath once for all. But the proof of that is that we keep receiving the ongoing cleansing. We come to him. We abide in him. That's, by the way, why we confess our sin together. Have you ever wondered about that? You know, we're, we're Christians. We're once for all forgiven. Why didn't Nick lead us in a confession earlier? Well, because we're doing this. We're saying, Jesus, I need your ongoing cleansing. It's why it's good for us in our own walk with the Lord to to build that into our daily walk with the Lord. Jesus taught the Lord's prayer, expecting it was a daily prayer, daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. We're saying, Jesus, I feel dirty. Cleanse me. We're saying, Jesus, I I never moved beyond your cross. I never want to. Two extremes on this. We don't have to become a Christian all over again. We don't have to go and get baptized or you know, do an altar call or something like that again if we're Christians. We don't need a full bath, you see. Just ongoing cleansing. Nor at the other extreme do we need to fear that if there's sort of one sin that we've forgotten to confess on our deathbed, it's going to find us out and, and, and that we'll never be forgiven by God. That would be the other extreme. Now in verse 8, Jesus is warning against an attitude that would say something like this. I, I prayed a prayer once, way back. I let Jesus wash me, but now it's over to me. Now I keep myself clean. Now I do religion. Now I do stuff for Jesus, and that's what keeps me clean. Jesus is warning against that attitude. It's a dangerous attitude. He wants us to keep relying on him for cleansing. But maybe we find that hard. I heard a few years ago of a, of a Christian man who got, uh, who got drunk, very drunk one night, and he slept with, with someone. He'd, he'd never done that before. He was gutted. 
he went to his pastor and he told him, and the pastor said, well, you, can, you confess your sin. You're forgiven once for all. And he talked him through that assurance that, that he has for that. But the man found it hard to receive that forgiveness. It, it actually became clear in the conversation that what was so hard was that there was a massive dent to the, 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 the man's mind, to, 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 to the man's pride. In a sense, he thought that he'd moved beyond needing to come to Jesus for forgiveness. He thought that maturity was somehow not Jesus, needing Jesus anymore. And that he should have just been able to go on in the Christian life without having things where he needed to come and depend on Jesus for cleansing. Now, friends, that's the attitude that Jesus is, is addressing here. We never move beyond our need of Jesus. We never get to the point when we do enough works that he's somehow in our debt. Never, never, never. We're always in need of his cleansing. We continue to depend on Jesus to let him serve us for ongoing forgiveness. Here's a little diagram that may help just to explain that. Now on, the, on the left-hand side is where we start as Christians. And you can see at the bottom, the move towards growing maturity. And as we go on in the Christian life, two things often happen. Number one, we have a greater sense of the height of God's glory. Number two, we have a greater sense of the depth of my remaining sin and my need for cleansing. That's just normal Christian life for us. We can become more aware of our sin. Now, what's the solution? Next picture. The solution is that the cross grows greater and greater in our estimation. Bigger and bigger, it fills our horizon. We have greater wonder and dependence on what Jesus achieved on the cross. You see, maturity is not needing Jesus less, but recognizing we need Jesus more. Many of us might prefer that cleansing came in a more complex way than just coming to Jesus. Maybe via some complex rules or, or pilgrimages or, or going to see a priest. In India on a certain day of the year, John will tell us 30 million people bathed in the Ganges on that day to find cleansing. We all want to go through various steps so, so that we contribute somehow. In the UK, I guess it's the opposite. We, we cleanse ourselves by rationalizing sin away. It doesn't exist. And yet we all know it does. And to the believer, Jesus simply says, you must let me cleanse you. You must let me keep applying my finished once for all work to your ongoing sin. Friends, that's how we finish the Christian life. That's how we go on. And perhaps for us at the moment as a church, a good question would, would be, have we, are we, getting so focused on, on, on the sin or the reaction of others, or do we see that we need cleansing? That we're the ones who need to keep coming to the cross? And John pushed this point home in his first letter, in 1 John verse 8 to 9, when he said, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. But if we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what Jesus says to the believer, keep coming to me. To the one who's not yet a believer here, Jesus says, Peter's attitude is a good one. Wash me, Jesus. Just wash me. Just wash me for the first time. Because Jesus says, if I don't wash you, you have no share with me. We must be cleansed by Jesus.
Here's the second thing that Jesus wanted uh, his disciples to know from this passage. We're called to serve like Jesus. We're called to serve like Jesus. Let's pick it up from verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I've done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I've done to you. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now notice something about the shape of this scene, this whole scene that we saw last week. Remember, verse 3, Jesus came from God. Verse 4, Jesus took the lowest place. Verse 12, Jesus resumes his place. Let's go through that again. Do you recognize something of the shape of that? He comes from God. He takes the lowest place in the foot washing, and then he goes and sits down in his seat again, uh, uh, wherever he was in the room before. See, it's a scene that mirrors the shape of Jesus' ministry, the shape of his mission. Jesus came from God. In the incarnation and the cross, he took the lowest place. And now in this second part of John, he's going to resume his place in heaven. He's going to go back to the Father. And now Jesus takes the foot washing in a different direction. He's already taught that we must be cleansed. And now he teaches from the foot washing that the foot washing is an example. And the basic point is easy to understand, I think. Verse 13, Jesus is the teacher. Jesus is the Lord. And if he washes, if he washes and goes to the lowest point as a teacher, then those who follow, those who are disciples, ought to do the same. Now we tend to think that menial service is somehow beneath us. But actually Jesus is saying that the highest thing that we could aspire to is actually this humble love. And the reason for that is that humble love is at the heart of what God is like. So if we want to aspire to be like God, the, the, the greatest thing we could aspire to is to be like the heart of God, which is humble love. Again, do you remember in verse 3, Jesus rose to do the foot washing, not in spite of being God, but for the very reason that he was God. Do you spot that when we saw that last week? Verse 3, he knew himself to be God, and so to act out of his godness, he acted in humble love. Because that's what God is like in verse 4. He acted out of his godness. Because humble love is the heart of God. And so friends, we're, we're never more like God than when we act in humble love to one another. And we're never more unlike God when we act in selfish pride. When we act in humble love to others, we're cutting with the entire grain of the universe, cutting with the entire grain of the character of God. In fact, Jesus says we'd be living under God's blessing, verse 17. Don't you aspire to be blessed as a Christian? Well, the way to blessing, Jesus says, is by living this out. By the way, that's why some of the most content people that you and I know are those who act in humble love, who are caught up in serving one another. That's why you and I know that we're actually at our best when we're not turned in on ourselves, but we're turned out to others. We know that. 
So put it this way, Jesus is the, is the world expert, if you like, on following God, on what a godly life looks like. There's more can be said about that, but he's in one sense the world expert. He's the teacher. He's the Lord. He knows. He's the teacher. Here's a picture of a world expert. Bear Grylls is probably one of the world experts on finding his way in a jungle. Imagine. Imagine then you're lost in a, in a jungle and he says, this is the way you should go. Follow me. If you say to him at that point, thanks but no thanks, what are you making yourself? Apart from a fool and very lost. You're making yourself greater than your teacher. You're making yourself the world expert at that moment in finding your way out of the jungle. You're saying, I am above your root. And Jesus says, I'm all about humble love. You're all to be about humble love. I'm not above this and nor are you. I've served so that you might serve. Verse 14. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. Now, I don't think this has to be a literal foot washing. It's a picture of humble love. But I think we can learn a lot from the foot washing about what it will look like for us to serve one another in, in humble love. Think about it. Foot washing meant for a start moving towards someone else to put them first, even when it was awkward, exposing, humiliating. That's what it was. When you wash someone's feet for a start, you moved towards them. Physically, you did. You, you crossed the room. And humble love means that. It's so tempting, isn't it? It's so tempting in whatever situation we're in to, to hold back from other people, to, to not move towards, to, to hold back, to keep the walls up. Friends, that may be tempting for us right now as a church as we're hurting and as we're confused. But humble love looks like Slowly, gradually, maybe we're finding it hard to just take baby steps of moving towards one another rather than away. It's good to hear at the moment of, of emails and texts and phone calls being exchanged, of, of people trying to move towards the same physical space with one another where we can. It's good that we're here today. We're meeting in our small groups as well. It may be that we need to move towards one another in these days or in other situations in, in conversations that sound like this where we say, look, it, it seems that we disagree on things but you're my brother, you're my sister I'm concerned for you, I love you. That is very different to how the world would handle disagreement. You disagree with me, you're cancelled. You disagree with me, you're unfriended. End of Foot washing, you move towards the, the person. Secondly, with an attitude of putting that person first, the thought process there is, what do they need right now? What would help them? Not what do I want, but what would serve them? I'm quite sure that it was pride that stopped the disciples washing each other's feet. Peter didn't think. Thomas looks like he's had a rough day. I bet he could do with the foot washing. Peter didn't think that. Peter thought, I'm not going near those smelly feet. Not if you pay me. I'm not going anywhere near those. That's for servants. That's not for me. It was pride that stopped. And it's pride that will stop me and, and us. 
It was, it was awkward then. It was exposing. It was humiliating. You move towards the other. You, you put someone else first and you don't know what reaction you're going to get. They're going to look at you and say, what on earth are you doing? You just didn't know. And so to do so, you had to know your, you had to know your place, really. It's, um, it's school nativity season. Here's a picture. It's school nativity season. And, and lots of people, you see, want the main role. They want to be Mary or Joseph. They don't want to be the, you know, the seventh shepherd or the, you know, whatever it is. No one wants that. People get disappointed with the, with the small role. And, and, and we can be like that. We can approach life or a situational relationship as if we're the main character and others play the supporting role to, to us. But friends, the, the role of the main character is already taken. Jesus. Jesus is the hero of the story. He's the main character. Jesus is God. He's the Lord. He's the teacher. And you and I, we take minor roles, bit parts, serving in unseen ways so that he gets the glory this week. And so our deepest joy is not when he uh, praises heaped upon us, but when we serve quietly, unseen, and the glory goes to him. Just as we close, three quick things just from these verses. Verse 17. Verse 17. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Do them. Not think about them. Not come up with a plan. Do them. The blessing comes as we actually do it. As we actually send the email. Or pick up the phone. Or, or cook the meal. What if we all did something this week to love someone in our church? What if we all did that? Who do you need to move towards? Can you just think for a second? Can I give you five seconds, ten seconds? Just think of a name. Who do you need to move towards? Have you got them? Blessed are you if you do it. Blessed are you if you do it. Second thing. We have to get the order right. Jesus serves us first so that we can serve others. Not the other way around. If we serve Jesus first, we'll turn grace into works. We need to let him serve us with the cross and the washing and the cleansing. Mark 10.45, Jesus says, The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. There is a very real sense in which he doesn't want us serving until we've let him serve us. He really wants to serve us. He really does. Let him. Lastly, just a verse outside of this passage, verse 34. Just outside of this passage, verse 34. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Friends, our love for each other as a church at the moment may be the greatest. I said this the other week. Maybe one of the greatest evangelistic opportunities the Lord has given us for years. More than our carol services. More than COVID. More than a Christianity Explored course every week. Jesus assumes that if we love one another, people will notice it will be different. Jesus also assumes that if we don't and tear each other apart, people will notice that too. This is not easy. 
This is not easy. This is hard. And when we're struggling, we need to look to Jesus and see how he served us first, that we might serve others. We must be cleansed and we're called to serve. Let's be quiet and just gather our thoughts in response to what Jesus has said. And then I'll pray. Father, thank you so much for Jesus, the servant king. And as we hear this call to love one another, we, we know all too well and all too quickly that we don't do this at all perfectly, that we fall short, and that we need your cleansing again and again for how we don't love others as we should. Forgive us, we pray. Cleanse us and strengthen us to love one another. Father, we pray for ourselves as a church. We pray that you'd keep us praying for one another, praying for the situation we're in as a church, praying for each one involved as we do now. Father, thank you for the love of Jesus. And we pray that by our love, Others would know that we're disciples of the one who loved us. In his name we pray. Amen.